announcement. <laughs> Thanks. All those are important, right? The functioning of the assembly and uh, keeping things in order. We praise the Lord for those who are diligent, putting their hand to the work, taking those responsibilities on. And uh, well, I don't know if this is good news for me or good news for you, but um, I forgot my notes. Oh, my goodness. I generally don't speak without a lot of notes. Um, so it may be good for you because pretty soon you'll be smelling the aroma of the chicken and the rice and the beans, and you won't want to be listening to me. So I'll make it as quick as possible. We thank the Lord. But it is important for us to come under the study of the word of God, and maybe we should just go on ahead and fix ourselves to that. As you uh, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25, I just want to open with, begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privileges that we do have to come um, and study your word. We do recognize the importance that it has in our lives. Uh, We understand the importance that it has in the way we live here on earth and how it helps us to represent the God who you are. So I pray this morning as we study this passage that we'll learn of it, learn of you, and we'll be more diligent to honor you in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, First Samuel chapter 25, and this is a, a very, uh, I think it was, it's, I was actually very honored, pleased when I got this passage, because it's really kind of a, it's a fun passage in a lot of ways. There's a lot of lessons in here. Um, you know, the whole book of First Samuel, it's, it's the story of basically two men, right? You have uh, Saul and you have David. And these two men throughout this passage, throughout this book, they illustrate two principles that are in the heart of, of every Christian, I believe, Every believer that walks with the Lord, these two principles, the principle of the flesh and faith, right? Those are two principles that we all have to deal with. When you get saved, it's not like something happens and all of a sudden everything becomes easy and and you don't have to deal with those fleshly things. They're always there. The, The fact that also... deals with the fact of the carnal believer as well as the spiritual believer, right? Here, and the idea that when we speak of these two individuals, Saul and David, knowing that they're both of them are kings in a lot of ways, it represents the importance and the principle that these factors, the flesh and the faith, rule in our lives, don't they? And we want to be careful to tend to them. And as well, in this book, there's another uh, person that we're introduced to, we've talked about, and that would be Samuel. And that's where we pick this uh, study up in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Am I yelling at you? 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we'll begin reading verse, we'll begin reading verse 1. Then... Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. 
And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So we see here we're introduced to this section. We're introduced actually to a new, in many ways, a new administration of God. Samuel, who was the human spokesman for God, now dies. Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel, and by the way, he was the first prophet of Israel. So we're, we're leaving an administration of the judges, and we're entering into a new administration known as the monarchy. You remember the children of Israel They wanted to be like the other nations. And so God gave them what they wanted. That was Saul. And by the way, a lot of times, and I really believe it, that the administration that is over a nation represents the heart of the majority of that nation. Right? And I think it's true. I think it was true in Israel. And I think it's true in our day today. So we see here that the spokesman... The human spokesman for God dies. The last judge dies. The first prophet dies. And we enter into a new administration. And look what the next thing says, the second half of that first verse. And David arose. Samuel dies and David picks up. And I think the illustration here is is that though one man may pass away, God will continue his work by handing it over to someone else. And so now we're introduced to David really in a new way. David had in many ways been been brought up under the tutelage of Samuel. And Samuel was very instrumental in his life. David was under a lot of pressure. His whole, well, actually ever since after he killed Goliath in many ways, well, not long after that. David had been pursued and pursued, his life pursued. And just last week, we heard that story where uh, he, he had been pursued and, and uh, he was hiding, remember? And uh, Saul had to go into a particular situation and David had the ability to annihilate the anointed of God. And by the way, he was the anointed of God, regardless if he was a fleshly uh, king or not. He was picked by God and David honored that. So David would cut his um, cloak, part of his cloak uh, to indicate that he did have the power to take him over, but he would not worship the authority of God. So David arose, and what does David do? It says, and I think this is very important, and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. Paran, by the way, uh, was, was a large uh, grassy land, and it had... It had rocks and and caves on the sides of it. It had wilderness. It had forest. It was a great grazing place. And some had indicated that the reason why David had went down there was because he had begun to generate a a force. There were people who were following uh, David, and now they needed to be provided for. Uh, Of course, they couldn't. Now that Samuel wasn't on site anymore, uh, he, David was, was a lot of ways. He was probably anxious that things were going to get worse for him. And so he would move them into the Paran where he could uh, provide sustenance for those who followed him. Now we're introduced to a new man. Verse two, 
another man. I was going to do, I did, I started to do little uh, uh, character traits on these guys, but then I thought, well, that's not going to be real helpful. So, but we're going to do that in a little ways. Listen here in verse two. Now there was a man in my own whose business was in Carmel. And by the way, this is not Mount Carmel. Okay. This is another place. Uh, and it's, it's just kind of an alliteration, the word Carmel, the name Carmel. It's not Mount Carmel. It's a different place. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. So it must have been around springtime. And by the way, what, I'm going to try, what we're trying to do here is we're going to do a little observation. We're going to interpret where we have to interpret, and then we're going to do some uh, application. So here we see that they were shearing sheep. And so it, it indicates to us that it was the springtime of the year. It was the harvest time of the year. There was a lot of celebration going on. People who had prospered were putting their stuff together. And the name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail, was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So there's a contrast here. You have a man... His name is Nabal, and by the way, the word Nabal means fool, right? Now, who would name their child that? That probably wasn't his name. More than likely, in the Oriental uh, culture at that time, you would pick up a name by the character of a person that you were, right? So he was a, he was a very foolish kind of a guy. He was, it says in the King James, he was churlish. In other words, he was very rude, you know, he was he was self-centered and rude. He was sometimes I have to be careful in my own house. He was how I feel sometimes when I feel like some of my family can't come to me because they're they they're afraid of how I'm going to respond. Right. We don't want to be like that. Right. We don't want to be churlish. He was just a rude kind of a, and I'm not making confessions. I mean, sometimes it's that's just the way it is. Right. So he was a churlish man, and he was very harsh. And here's his wife, a beautiful woman, understanding, intelligent, as you see. She's articulate. She's, she's just, you know, how in the world do these two get together? Well, more than likely in that culture, there was uh, fixed, arranged marriages. And so for one reason or another, they were probably arranged. He was rich, and probably that was one of the reasons why. Uh, her father would engage in their marriage. And we don't really know. It's all speculation. But we see that there's a contrast here. And it says here in verse 4, When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, greet him in my name, and you'll say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to the house, to your house, peace to everything that you have. Hey, I heard that you've, you have shears. Your sh and and you, your, your shepherds were with us, and we didn't hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them. All the while, they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes in your hand to your servants and to your son David. So this is what he told the, his servants to do. So they went ahead and did it, and they went to Nabal. Uh, to make this request. Now, this was a very common custom. 
And I think this was one of the reasons why David went to Paran, because he needed to provide for the people. And that was one way that they would do it. They would protect the rich people, the rich shepherds, or the rich owners who would send their shepherds in here because these Bedouin, and it still happens today. in, In the Arab nations, a lot of the Arab nations, these people will come in. They will take advantage of these shepherds. They will steal the sheep. They will slaughter them. They'll take advantage of them. Well, while David was there, he protected them, and Nabal was one of the ones that he protected. So... The custom was, if you did that, then when the harvest time came, more than likely you would compensate those who protected you. Because if it wasn't for them, you probably wouldn't have what you have anyway. So it was a natural custom. And so David sends them, and uh, he tells Nabal. And then Nabal's response is basically a response of rejection. Who does he think he is? Right. He says it this way. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? And then he goes on to make accusations. There's a lot of there's. He says this. There's a lot of servants. Right. There's a lot of servants nowadays who break away from each one from his own master. In other words, he's probably who is he? He's probably he would not. He would not exact David for who he was. Now, you cannot tell me that he didn't know who David was. And by the way, his wife's going to tell on him because she knew who he was. If she knew who he was, and I'm sure under the auspices of King Saul, everybody knew who David was. But he, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, this Nabal is, is, uh, uh, I guess, typical or he would be. Much like the person today who says, who's God? The one who rejects, he's the one who rejects the king. Who's Jesus? Right? So he was basically rejecting uh, David. Who is David? And then he goes on and he's going to say, look at what it says here in verse 11. Shall I take my bread? Shall I take my bread? My water and my meat I have killed for my masters and give it to men whom I don't know where they're from. And so here's another indication of this man and his character. He thought everything was in his own hands. Everything belongs to me. Doesn't he remind you of that one that Jesus spoke about? I think it was was it in Matthew um, 19 where he, he built, he had, oh no, it was in Luke 12 where he, he had all these goods and he put all these goods together and he says, what am I going to do? I have too many goods. And so he said, I know what I do. I'll knock my barns down and I'll build a binger barn and I'll put my stuff up there. And Jesus says, you, what does he say? You fool, right? For today, your life is required of you, right? And who's going to have all this stuff? Right. And honestly, as we go through the story, I really begin to see the providential work in the hand of God, even through Nabal. Now, how would how would this beautiful girl get hooked up with this churlish man? And why would all that happen? Well, it's not just by any happenstance. I really think it was providential that God began to do this. But look at what happens. David's men, they go back and oh, and I like what this says here. It says, so David's young man, what did they do? They turned on their heels. In other words, they're like, what? Really? 
So they turn on their heels and they go back and they tell David, you know, and David just gets, he just gets furious. What? This guy owes this to me. And in kind of just uh, frustration or not, just, just, he was just aggravated by the whole thing. And he decides that he's going to go, he's going to annihilate this man, right? He's kind of impetuous. Is that a good word? Can I say that? He was impetuous about it. And he just kind of got furious and he let the anger get up and he's going to go and he gets all his men together, all 600 of them. Oh, no, wait a minute. 200 of them got to stay with the stuff. I'm going to take 400 of them and we're going to go and we're going to annihilate this man. And as he's going, he's traveling. Look at what it says um, here. And uh, in, in now in verse 14, one of the young men who had worked for Nabal heard this. What was happening? He had heard. He says, now it says here. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. And he reviled him. That's all he had to say. She knew who David was. And she knew the battle. She'd heard about David and Saul. She knew about Goliath. Right? She knew about David's uh, 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 mighty young men who went into, uh, was it Nabalim? Nabalim? Right? She had heard all these things. So she knew who David was. And it says here, uh, and then in verse 16, they admit, and they were a wall. David's men protected us. Even this man understood, the, 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 one of the servants understood there were a wall to us. And he warns her, now therefore know and consider what you will do. In other words, we really have to do something right away. And she responds rapidly. And it says in verse uh, 18, then Abigail made haste and she got all this stuff together and she got it on her servants. And what, they, what she probably did is what they would do is it would be a big show. So she'd have all of these donkeys and she'd have some stuff on one donkey. She'd have a whole line of donkeys and she'd have some bread on one, the wineskins on the others, the baked corn on the others. And there's this great big, you know, entourage coming just to make an impression. And she said, you go first and then I'm going to come with you. And here's a parenthetical. I love this here, what it says in, in, in verse 21. As David is heading this way, Abigail's heading Toward David's troop, it says here, now David, just to make sure you understand what's going on. Now, David had said, surely in vain, I've protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so. And more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belonged to him by the morning. So he really was going after them. The next verse. Now, when Abigail saw David, and of course he had already received a lot of what had come. He saw the entourage and they kind of met. He was on one side of the hill and, and, and she came over and they, they kind of met there. It says in verse 20, she fell at his feet. It says in, in verse uh, or in verse 23, that that when Abigail, Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly. Just humility, in full humility, she would fall down, she would bow before David, and then she would begin to recite this wonderful um, 
a recital of asking for forgiveness and trying to get David back in, into his right mind. In many ways, I think this was a, a providential interception. Brother uh, um, Aaron this morning was speaking out of Isaiah, and he was speaking on how God would not allow anyone to be harmed for what? For his name's sake. And I think that what was happening here was that Abigail was a providential interception so that David wouldn't ruin his own name by misrepresenting God. And that's exactly what he would have done if he would have annihilated. Not that he wasn't worthy of what he had coming to him, but it really wasn't up to him. And later on, he'll say, you know, regarding Saul, when, um, when uh, Abishah says, let's kill him, he says, I'm not going to kill him. You know, if God wants him dead, God will have him dead. It's not up to me. So here we see that David learns a lesson uh, that here he is. He's going to take things into his own hand and this providential interception. And I think it's very important for us. As believers in our own lives, here's a little application. We need to be considerate of those things that happen in our daily life. They're not necessarily coincidences. I think of some of the things that I've done and I see how God had providentially worked in my life historically. And he still does that. What does that mean? It means he gets in the way so I don't mess it up anymore. <laughs> Basically, that's what he means. And so God begins to work in his life here. And she and you can just read this. It's a wonderful this this declaration that she makes. And look at what it says here in verse 26. And this what makes me think that this is providential. Now, therefore, my Lord, this is Abigail speaking as the Lord lives and as your soul lives since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from what avenging who avenging yourself. Right. Vengeance is whose vengeance is the Lord's right. And avenging yourself with your own hand, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as fools or as Nabal, her husband, right? Let them be like him. And we're going to see later on, you'll see what happens to him. And now she presents her present in verse 27. She asks for forgiveness and and, and then she says, for the Lord will certainly make, listen to this in verse 28. She says, please forgive me the trespass of your maidservant. So she kind of takes it on herself, right? There's a humility there. You know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of that wonderful sermon that the Lord preached in the Sermon of the Mount. That first word, those words that came out of his mouth. You know what they were? When he stood up and began to to, to, uh, to preach that sermon, he said, Blessed are who? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That was the heart of Abigail. She took this trespass on herself in a lot of ways. And she, she sa it says, but then she begins to, to, uh, to speak to David and explain to her she really knew who she, he was. And I also think there was some there was some uh, divine inspiration going on here, too. And, and that's part of providential interception. 
She says here, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. She knew what David was up to just as Nabal did. And then she goes, now she begins to almost prophesize. She she knew that Saul was after him. And she, she explains it here. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. And look at this. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord. And the idea here is when there were items that were precious, what they would do is they would bind them together for protection. Right. And what she was saying is the Lord is going to bind. He's going to protect you. He's going to bundle you up in the cleft of the rock. David would write in some other uh, in one of his psalms. Right. So and, and and so she begins to speak with him. And David, I look here in verse 32. I, I mean, David, I'm pretty sure he's just blown away. He's just blown away. He's his. Can you imagine all that fury? All that vengeance. Have you ever been there before? I'm going to that guy cut in front of me. I'm going to take care of him. Right. All that vengeance just build up in him. And this young, humble, beautiful, intelligent woman comes and just melts him. And just melts him. And this is what he says. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you to me this day. God's the one who sent you. It wasn't that servant. I've planned this all out. David's got a lesson to learn. And then he says, and blessed is your advice in verse 33, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you. In other words, he's like, I would have, everyone would have, including you, Abigail, you would have been annihilated. So it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And David received from her uh, the, the gifts that she gave. And interestingly enough, you know, the rest of the story, well, it's kind of sad, but it's kind of, kind of good too because she goes back home and you can read it on your own. And her foolish husband, Nabal, you know, because it was during the feast, there was a festival, harvest, everybody, he got caught up. And, you know, he was happy to live under the reign of the king of the flesh. He was happy to live under Saul. He liked that because he had all his riches, right? He had all those things going for him. So he lived like the world. He was drunk. He was partying. She didn't want to say anything to him. The next day, it says, when the wine had passed, She told him what had happened. She told him that his life was in jeopardy and that just messed him up. You know what? And I'm just going to say this. It reminds me of the day that the Lord grabbed a hold of me. I probably shouldn't say this. It was after a weekend. I don't know if I've told this to you before. It was after a weekend of violent drinking and fighting. And that's what I did. I'd love to do that. And I had... It was Quaaludes. It was Jack Daniels. I was just blown away. And I woke up that one Sunday morning, and the person that was with me explained to me, you know, so-and-so was going to come and kill you. But I stopped him. And it was not long after that. 
I mean, I don't know why that did it to me, but it broke my heart. But I'm, I'm glad I wasn't like Nabal because you know what happened to him? He had a stinking heart attack. He had a heart attack. His heart just failed. He was like a stone. Ten days later, he was dead. He was done with. That's what the flesh does. That's how the flesh lives. And wonderfully enough, Abigail, David would propose to her, right? David would propose to her and she would become what? The bride. You see, Nabal never recognized the day of destruction. Abigail saw it and she seized the opportunity to repent. And as a result, she was welcomed into the king's palace because David was the true king. What a wonderful example. What a wonderful symbol that God has given us in the Old Testament here. And then, of course, when we come into chapter 26, I'm going to take a few more minutes. I don't smell any food. Is there food out there? All right. You guys are still good to go. But this is cool, too. Okay. All right. This is cool, too. Look at here in verse chapter 26. This is the adventure. This is really this is the really the rising of David as the real anointed one as not the real anointed one. Because honestly, Saul was really anointed, too. But Saul was the people's choice, right? Saul was the fleshly king. David, on the other hand, was the man after God's own heart. David was picked by God. And so they were both anointed. And that's why, of course, David honorably would not assassinate Saul, even though he had opportunity in chapter 24. And then in chapter 26, there's a lot of similarities going on here. It says... Now the Ziphites came, and then, but when you say Ziphites, that ought, to, that ought to ring a bell. If you were listening to what happened in chapter 24 and chapter 23, who was the one who was tattletaling on the Israelites? It was the Ziphites. They didn't think that David was worthy of anything. They, were, they thought Saul was the man to be. And the Ziphites were worldly people as well. You know, they were the enemies. And they would coerce with Saul. And every time they saw David, the last time they said, here's David. They went and met Saul in, in, in Gebeah in chapter 23. And again here, now the Ziphites came to Saul in Gebeah saying, isn't David hiding in the hill of Hilkiah opposite? This is where he is. This is, and you know what? Here's Saul, this poor guy. He was... I don't know. He, he was just he was the Hitler in some ways of that day. He had some major problems because he had just relented from killing David. He just said he wouldn't do it anymore. He loved David, but he hated David, you know, and that's kind of like the flesh is, you know, you love your sin, but you really kind of hate it. You don't. It, you're, it's what is it? He's is it psychotic. I think he's a little psychotic. I really do. I think he is. And, of course, both of these men were under a huge amount of pressure. Saul was under the a pressure of a disobedient heart. You remember, he was told to go and annihilate the Amalekites. Oh, he kind of did it, but he was disobedient, and he didn't do it. That was the character of Saul. David, on the other hand, was obedient, and he wouldn't even annihilate the one that he, was, that, the one that he could, Saul. And it says here, now the Ziphites, tattletales, tattletales. 
came to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Is David here? And then Saul arose, and he went in the wilderness of Ziph, and, having, and he got his men together, and he went, and he encamped there, and David hears about it. In verse 3, in verse 4, David hears about it. And in, in verse 3, in verse 4, he sends out some spies. Okay? But this time, instead of coming, David, David coming by Saul by happenstance, it's intentional. This time, instead of being pursued, guess what? David becomes the pursuer. And he goes out, he spies them out, he rides, and he says it again. Remember, in the beginning of chapter 24, Samuel died, David rose up. Here, again, here comes Saul, and Saul settled down, he sat down, and David rose up, right? There's this similitude going on in, in, the, in the scriptures here. It says, and then uh, uh, David rose, and he came to the place where Saul was, and he saw the place. He saw Abner there. Abner happened to be Saul's nephew. And David answered, and he said to uh, uh, Ahimelech the Hittite, okay? And by the way, these are the kind of, and the Hittites, the Hittites, I, I did a little, because I was like, who, who are the Hittites? They were back uh, some centuries before this, some of the greatest, they were the greatest people. They threatened both Syria and Egypt for thousands of years, but the nation had been dispersed. But here's, they, they had generated great warriors, and this guy, Ahimelech, he was no wimp. I'm going to tell you what. He was a warrior. And he was one of the two men who stood right by David. Him and Abner. Or, uh, I mean, not Abner. Um, uh, uh, Abishai. And Abishai was the son of Jeruah. And by the way, you know who Jeruah is, right? That's not... Usually when, usually when they say the son of, they mention the father. But this is actually the mother. Jeruah is... David's sister. And we don't know why they, they use him. Some say, well, maybe he was dead by then. Or some say, well, maybe it's just because of the relationship there. It gives him a little more authority. Anyway, but you see the relation there. So he was actually a nephew. <clears throat> and he looks at them and, uh, and he says, who's going to go down with me? And, of course, Abishah says, I'm going to go. And then Abishah and David, they go and uh, and then Abishah says to David, oh, and by the way, this is one of Abishah's greatest theological statements ever made. And this is what he says. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, he says, therefore, let me strike him. And this is the character of Abishah. And it's only going to take me one strike. And I'm going to jump, pin him to the ground. Because they looked. And he was there. And uh, it, was, it was just amazing to say but look at what David says. David says, as the, in verse 10, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day shall come to die. Or he shall go out to battle and perish. No matter how it happens, no matter how he's annihilated, no matter how he dies, it's not going to be by my hand, right? It's going to be by the Lord's hand, right? So... Uh, here he is, and then he, then he goes on. So David, remember, they were sleeping. David crosses over. It says David took the spear that was there. The spear was by his head, and that was always the symbol of power. And then for one reason or the other, he took the water, which was uh, a symbol of his uh, 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 strength or support, because in that um, culture, 
without water, you would die. So he takes them both, and then he calls out to Abner. And by the way, Abner, you know, he's, he asks him, is he a man? Abner was no joke either. He was a big man too, and he was a powerful man. He was the number two man to Saul, so you know he had something going on as well. And so David begins to call out to him and sort of taunt him. You know, aren't you supposed to be taking care of the king? And by the way, if you were supposed to be taking care of the king, if you were the second in command and something happened to the king, it wouldn't happen to you what happened to me when I was in the Marine Corps and I got um, what they called uh, office hours, right? And they fined me a little bit. If you didn't take care of the king, if you did something wrong, it cost you your... Yeah, I remember it cost me $125. Man, that was a lot of money then. But for Abner, it cost him his life. And David says, you're not taking care of the king. What is your problem? He says in verse 10, this thing that you have done is not good. And as the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you've not guarded your master. And David was saying, I, I recognize uh, the preciousness of Saul more than you do. I recognize that Saul is the anointed one even more than you. And of course, Saul begins to break down and Saul says, he hears David's voice and he's like, and he calls him again, my son. And by the way, this is going to be the last encounter of these two. They will never see again. Not long, next chapter or two, Saul dies. Okay, and David becomes installed as the king. And so we see, you know, David's complaint here is, he says to him, he said, oh, I like this. He said, David says um, in verse 17, then Saul knew David's voice and says, is that your voice, my son? And David says, yes, it is my voice. He says, why does my Lord pursue his servant? David was under a huge amount of pressure. I don't know if we understand that. We read through this and we just put our own little culture in there and our own little predicaments, but there was a huge amount of pressure that was on him. Why are you pursuing your servant? What have I done? What evil have I placed on my hand? And then the next thing he says, listen, he says, now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of the servant. Okay, I want you to explain to me what I've done wrong. The first thing he says, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, in other words, if you're seeking me is because of something I have done and the Lord has called you to seek me. Okay. Okay. Let's make resolution. Let he goes. He says, if the Lord stirred you, let him accept an offering. Okay. If the Lord stirred you up, let's find a way of rec reconciliation. Okay. However, if it's the mouths of men, he goes on to say, but if it is the children of men, may they be cursed. In other words, there were, the, there were those who recognized that Saul was a little cuckoo, right? And they would stir him up. Let's go after David. And they would stir him up. And that's what it was that was driving him. That's what it was that drove David or drove Saul after David. And he says, and it broke his heart because it pushed him out of the place where God had ordained worship to be done appropriately. And in so many ways, they would say to him, 
You could just go somewhere else and worship a different God. You're not worthy of our God. Right? And so David was asking him all those things. And then he says, So now do not let my blood fall on the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. So there's a lot to take out of this. I know we've already taken way too much time. You know, one of the things that I didn't mention was a little bit earlier when David looked over at the camp and it says Saul was encamped and Abner was there and they were laying down and it says David went over um, with Abishah and he, he, he came by night in verse 7 and it says there Saul lay asleep with his spear stuck in the ground by his head and Abner and Abishah said to David, you know, God has delivered. Now, therefore, and he goes and it says, David, um, David went over. He took the spear and Saul and Abner and the 3000 people there. It says they were in a deep sleep. And this is interesting. This term is used three times in the Old Testament. One time it's used with Adam. When God had put Adam into a deep sleep, right? And Adam slept. And then God, and, and it has an illustration of the church and the bride of Christ, right? In a lot of ways. And then there was another situation that had happened. In Genesis chapter 15, when God would make a covenant with Jacob. Do you remember that? He told Jacob to take and to cut, to cut the, the calves in half and to cut all the animals in half and uh, you know didn't cut the birds in half he killed the birds and and then then Jacob spent the whole day keeping the flies and keeping the birds off of it and you know God never said anything God never said anything and then when it was time God would put Jacob to sleep and guess who would walk in the middle of those cut beasts which was a covenant it was an oriental covenant that when they would do that then they would, and Jeremiah speaks of it, they would hold hands and they would walk down there. And if one of you broke that covenant, you would be cursed. Well, the covenant that God would make with Jacob was not walking down there with Jacob, but it was a one-sided covenant. We talked about this in Galatians chapter 3. It was a covenant that God made, not an agreement, but it was a promise. And it's the same thing here in, in uh, 1 Samuel. God is continuing to keep that promise. This wasn't David. David didn't do this. God put him to sleep so that the providential workings of God could continue through the man of David. There's some comparisons between 1 Samuel 24 and 26, but there's also some dissimilarities in Chapter 24, there was David was on the defensive. In chapter 26, he's on the offensive. In chapter 24, David was hiding. Chapter 26, David is pursuing. In chapter 24, David's strength was shown when he was given the opportunity, but he didn't take it. In chapter 26, David's strength was shown when he put himself in the position to assassinate Saul, and he didn't do it. So some Saul's, some lessons that Saul, of Saul and David, well, Saul should have got this lesson. 
is that when sin is not fully mortified, when sin is not complete, and I deal with this in my own life, when sin is not fully mortified, then I promise you, it will return. It will return, and sometimes when it returns, it returns multiplied in its strength. So deal with those things today, right? Saul didn't do that, and as a result, the kingdom was taken from his hand. David, on the other hand, when he saw the errors of his ways, he relented and turned to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. And that's, I think, some of the lessons that we find in here. The battle of every believer between the flesh and the spirit, right? I see everybody sitting here. Not a whole lot of people are nodding, but I'm nodding for for me. I, th- I fight that fight. I, f- I hope I'm not alone. <laughs> no, actually, I, 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 you know, I don't mean to say that, but uh, we fight that fight. Well, I thank you for your patience. You've been, I've, someone asked if we'd get out of here before 2 o'clock. Yeah, we're out here before 2 o'clock. A little long, but there was a lot to cover. Thank you. for When I, when I grow up, I'll, get, I'll be shorter next time. All right. All right. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word, it is important, Father. And you know, Father, help us not to be, not to be, constrained by a clock. And yet, we do need to be respectful of one another. But we do thank you, Lord, for this, for your word. We thank you for the lessons here. We see that fight between the the battle that we have, that every believer has, that battle between the flesh and between uh, faith, between sin and between obedience, between. Um, honoring God and just kind of allowing the world to have its way in our lives. Help us, Father, to be more diligent in these things. Help us to be like David, even though he made mistakes, and plenty there were. Ultimately, David was a man after God's own heart. And we read in Romans, all things work together for good, those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his name. And we thank you, Father, that you work in our lives providentially even so. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.